On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC. Redesign your organisation. Reinvent your capabilities. Reimagine your future. On News Talk. Joined by my newspaper panel, who we will chat to in just a moment, but we will run through some of the front pages. And as we were talking around with the Justice Minister, Helen McEntee, that situation of the, the teenage boy who was charged last night in uh, Tullamore, charged uh, with murder, is making the front pages of a number of the papers, including the Sunday Times and the Irish Mail on Sunday. Uh, along with Bono and U2, Las Vegas rattles and hums as U2 rock the sphere, says the Sunday Times. We'll be talking to our tech correspondent, Jess Kelly, later on in the show. She was there for that second gig of their residency in Las Vegas. Moving on to the Sunday Independent and they've got a poll on the front page and there's some really interesting findings throughout this but the headline uh, from Maeve Sheehan is half of adults aged under 35 have tried cocaine poll finds and they've got different figures then uh, overall 80% saying they haven't tried it 16% said they have 2% saying they have regularly and another 2% saying they'd prefer not to say which you can probably say is yes I have regularly but sure look Uh, and then you also have the, the budget making the front page of the Sunday Independent. Budget surplus likely to be slashed by up to 20 billion is the story from Deputy Political Editor Hugh O'Connell. A number of bits of pieces in there including that the Media Minister Catherine Martin has been advised crisis hit RTE will need a bailout of nearly 56 million euro and it's part of a general tone across the papers that Michael McGrath is trying to play down this budget bonanza over the next five years that it won't be 65 billion over, over that time frame it'll be only 45 billion that we have to spend and sort of trying to rein ministers in a little bit. Uh, the business posts going with that theme as well. Health overruns derail budget. This is the more than a billion euro, potentially two billion euro health overspend now Michael Brennan is is reporting in the Department of Health, which will then spill over into what other departments can and can't do. And then below the fold, a story we're going to talk about after 12 o'clock. Developers calling for a new second-hand house levy that may add up to €5,000 to the price of a home. This is the Construction Industry Federation looking for a 1% charge on second-hand houses being sold uh, in order to pay for the cost of utilities and connecting to them to electricity, etc, etc. So that's the front pages. I'm joined by my newspaper panel in the studio. As I mentioned, we have got Michelle Murphy, Research and Policy Analyst at Social Justice Ireland and Tanya Ward, Children's Rights Alliance Chief Executive. Thank you very much both for joining us. We're going to start with politics because I'm a politics nerd and that's where we're (laughs) going to start this week. Uh, And we're talking about a couple of stories that are in the papers, but we're already, forget about all the different elections that are happening next year, uh, uh, Tanya. We're looking ahead to the presidential election Bertie Ahern is the presumed favourite and Enda Kenny and Micheál Martin are thinking of throwing their hat in the race, reports the Mail on Sunday. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I actually think this is the light article, to be honest. With the, way, <laughs> the way it's written, it, it's highly entertaining. But uh, as, as we know, Bertie's being floated as a potential candidate uh, on, the, on the Fianna Fáil ticket. And what's really interesting, this article is the Bertie blockers. And the two <laughs> Bertie blockers that, that it's covering is Micheál Martin and Enda Kenny. So it seems Micheál Martin had aspirations to have a, a job in Europe, two ministries, the Foreign Affairs Ministry and the Defence Ministry, well placed if he wanted to take a European role but he's changed his mind and this this article is saying that he's intending actually to run for the general election again because he doesn't want to lose the sphere of influence and in particular he wants to derail Bertie's ambitions um, and his main goal around that is he's worked really hard to expunge Ber- Bertie's legacy from the Fianna Fáil legacy mm. and if he doesn't hang around uh, Bertie's back, back on the ticket potentially. But the other piece here is that is Enda. 
and there's an interview it seems with the Fianna Fáil um, grandee who says that Enda is getting twitchy um, and that he, he loves a crowd and uh, he wants to come back into the fray and actually Bertie's an old nemesis of him as well and he likes the idea of trying to derail Bertie's ambitions for, for the presidency as well. It's going to be like leaders question circa 2009 just for the president with everyone looking a little bit older and more dishevelled. Uh, Michelle, one, like to do the dichotomy because this feels very much like the old boys club now running for the presidency. Another report from John Drennan in the mail today saying that while this is all going on, the two big parties in yeah. Finnegan and Fianna Fáil, yeah. they're struggling to uh, get enough female candidates at the election. Yeah, that was John Drennan's really interesting article there. And I think actually the Social Democrats are the only party who are fil- fielding I think 13 out of their 20 local election candidates are female. Mm. All, um, Sinn Féin are around the 38% mark, I think, but Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are really struggling. And obviously, they, you know, he outlines that they, those parties see the local elections of maybe, you know, laying the ground for then a general election run and meeting the quota requirements. And, you know, they're, they're really struggling here. And I think one thing that wasn't really referenced in that article, and you referenced earlier in the interview with Minister McEntee, I mean, the way the doll is set up, it's certainly not conducive yeah. to family mm. life or attracting women into politics. Yeah. Like, forget about maternity leave. It, even just the time it starts at, when it sits and the time it finishes in the evening. Like, it, in terms of how modern lives and modern families work, it really is not set up to attract women mm. into politics. I mean, and it shouldn't be a surprise that yeah. they're really struggling to get people onto the ticket. And now you're going to be harassed online, mm-hmm. right? Social yeah. media, that's the other burden that yeah. you're, you're going to have to deal with. But I mean, the stats are really stark. Yeah. Ireland is 98th in the world for mm-hmm. women's representation in national parliament. Iraq and China have a better record. I mean, it's kind of extraordinary. Um, one of the things that's interesting as well about those parties, uh, and, and I wonder, I mean, the other parties seem to be doing better, but Jennifer Carol McNeil talks mm-hmm. about, you know, she didn't have political aspirations. Actually, someone tapped her on the shoulder to bring her into politics and that's the bit that's missing here is that not enough work is being done because of course we've huge levels of talent in the country there's lots of people you'd love to see in politics but are they actually going out and tapping them on the shoulder and mm. asking yeah. them to go forward and put themselves there? there's plenty of tapping on the shoulder of former GA stars when you need someone to run where you don't have anyone yeah. with a name I'm like well why aren't you tapping some of the really talented yeah. women around the country yeah. and saying mm. would yeah. you consider this. But part of the problem they've had with that as well is when they do it, they run them with a very established male mm-hmm. TD. Yeah. So you think mm-hmm. of Eleanor Malley Dunlop last time mm-hmm. around as, as someone and that just it kind of defeats the purpose. You're ticking a box and you have this very talented person but you place them in a constituency that have no chance. Yeah. And that's one of the other things coming through in, in, in the article is some women won't put themselves forward for that reason actually because they think there's too much tokenism happening. I mean I'd love to hear what, what, what Eleanor Malley Dunlop would say about that mm-hmm. election as well because I think what happened in that election when there was pressure what happens is the main the main candidate is the one where the party mm. organised around and not necessarily around the second candidate mm. uh, and I think that's the other major risk I mean they need to make an investment in women over a whole period of uh, and run them uh, you know over several over several kind of elections to make sure that they have the, the, the have the vote share really I think that's the bit that's probably missing here and you, know, you start at the first day of the general election is over or the local election is over and you spend the next four to five years trying to get women into election and supporting them uh, to, to run in politics. But I do I do feel I feel like there's a, we're in a negative space because when you do talk to people about putting themselves forward, they're finding the harassment that they're getting online mm. very mm-hmm. difficult to, to deal with. And, and, I, and I think that's something that we're going to have to look at if we want women to put themselves forward for election. Yeah, it seems that, like, like we saw last week outside the door, don't exactly help that. Uh, Michelle, a lot of talk in the papers obviously about the budget mm-hmm. where, you know, the, the second last Sunday yeah. before the budget, <laughs> budget, we have to get everything out there. Um, what Anything in particular that you're picking up on? 
Well, I suppose uh, Michael Brennan and Daniel Murray in the Business Post pretty much have the budget for us. If you're to read um, pages eight and nine in the Business Post here, they have the welfare packet, the, the tax package. I suppose what I find interesting here, you have, uh, and it's in both the Sunday Independent and the Business Post, uh, you know, the finance minister pouring cold water in the 65 billion surplus. But let's, you know, he's talking about a projected surplus from the summer economic statement. Mm. And you can see why, why he's doing that. But I suppose we need to focus on the money that we have in this budget that's going to be allocated on the 10th of October. And judging by, um, you know, the report here, we're, we're going to see a cost of living package not at the same level of, as last year. You're going to see a similar tax package cuts to the USC, changes to the tax band, which last year disproportionately benefited the better off. This year will disproportionately benefit the better off. And mm. last year, people earning 50 to 20 euros an hour got nothing from that tax package. So they're ha- going to have to look at tweaking that this year, because how do you reach that group. That's exactly what I wanted to ask you though. How do you without, because obviously you change tax, it benefits everyone up the line, it doesn't need it. So how do you target that? Well then you need to target it, I suppose the USC is one way, the other way is looking at reducing costs in general for those people. Because if you want to increase the value of the your income. So the money you have in your pocket every week to make it go further, you need to reduce the cost that people are spending. And the things that government can control are the cost of housing energy, those kind of things. I suppose what's interesting to me here is we were, there's a statement and obviously it's from a government source saying they couldn't possibly increase core social welfare rates by 25 euros a week, which is, you know, it's not just us as calling for this, a significant number of um, groups is because how much it would cost in terms of the state pension. So we're looking at 12 euro a week again, which is a cut in real terms for those people. So, I mean, on the one hand, government is saying to people relying on the state pension, no, we really can't afford to spend 670 million on you. But you know what? We're going to do an energy credit again that's going to cost 400 million. That's completely not targeted. Mm. You know, that will be 1.6 billion of money that really has not been targeted. It's going to holiday homes. It's going to people who don't need it. So the messaging coming out to me, I think, is is interesting. Given what you had, you had um, Paul McAuliffe and Dari Kaleri out towards the end of la- last week talking about the need for welfare rates to increase substantially. And there are, you know, there are talks of, you know, double payments, one-off measures again, but they don't address the problem of people not having enough money to pay their bills or put food on the table or pay their mortgage or pay their rent. Yeah. Um, for all the uh, for all the talk we've had about uh, female representation, text in from John and Carlo. Bertie for president. That's the vote in my house. Uh, more text in as well on our chat about uh, Helen McEntee. Uh, as a GRA member, says one texter, I voted no. It had zero nada, nothing to do with rosters. This is no confidence in, in Drew Harris. Uh, lots of changes made now that are now being brought back like boundary changes because it was found not to work. And I'm joined by my newspaper panel, Michelle Murphy, Research and Policy Analyst at Social Justice Ireland and Tanya Ward from the Children's Rights Alliance. And we've been going through the, the budget the, the night before or the week before the budget papers, if you like. And Tanya, what is catching your eye and what, I suppose, from your point of view as well, the Children's Rights Alliance, what are you hoping to see? Well, I was hoping to see a child poverty budget because that's what the, the, the Taoiseach has been talking about mm-hmm. and, and so and several members of Cabinet. I don't quite see it yet. No. Certainly mm-hmm. not in the leaks that will come through. I think one of the things you can see is uh, is that Minister Foley is going to push for uh, free school books at second level. Um, I know that costs about 72 million and that's one of the only things you can see actually in the budget that's going to help those people on really low incomes. Um, the free school books are going to have an enormous effect on families and of course everyone but particularly families on the 
those low incomes because mm. the cost of going to school is so expensive. And what was really interesting last year when they introduced free school books at primary level, uh, the SVP had actually a drop in requests for support of education costs. So right. it really does work when you put them, you make sound investment decisions and where you, where you put the money. Um, uh, one of the things we were hoping to see is that for, ch- let's say, families with children uh, on welfare payments, there will be an increase there. I don't see anything there. I don't see any 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 notion uh, when it comes to the cost of childcare. Um, what you see being floated is trying to deal overall with the cost um, of, of childcare, but not, let's say, investing in a DESH programme for early years, which we know is the best thing you can do if you want to end child poverty, uh, or indeed trying to invest in something very, very basic, like uh, extending the threshold for medical cards so more people can get access to, to medical cards. But one of the things that does jump out to me, I think, in the coverage is, is what's happening with the HSE and the health budget. Mm. You know, you could dismiss this story as, as usual, they can't control health spending in, in the HSC and at the bottom of this hole, but it actually goes to the heart, I think, of the way budgets budgets are made. You know, when the, the public servants go in and they do their pitch and they're, they're pitching for the existing level of service and they're trying to retain that um, and then they're looking for in, innovations. And of course, the politicians love the innovations because they can make announcements. You know, they're, that's why they go into politics. They don't yeah. go into politics to fund agencies that exist levels to come in to make a difference um, and what's really clear is that you know the HSC has not been funded uh, the existing mm-hmm. level of services have not been funded sufficiently and if you the, the Mail on Sunday actually the summary of lots of articles showing early on last year it was pretty clear that they hadn't funded the HSC uh, sufficiently but the thing I think is very worrying in the story is you know it's saying it's because the deficit this 2 billion deficit is down to you know health inflation nearly 17 to 20% in, in, in health costs and the products that they're using uh, that big bump in the in the numbers post-COVID. I mean, Tusla has the same issue as well. You know, there's an article elsewhere in the papers about Tony Holland's, you know, book that he just published and all those decisions that were made to close all those schools and services is actually having a knock-on effect on, on the budget today. But um, what, what the, the HSE leadership is saying, OK, look, we can cut the budget next year round, but it's going to be in terms of staff and recruitment, freezing recruitments. And that means ordinary people are going to experience, you know, less services or longer waiting lists. And I think that's something that we need to focus on. We can't have a situation year on year where people are, where there's long waiting lists and and, and, a, and a poor decision has been made from the outset to actually fund the existing service within the HSE. Mm, and it shouldn't yeah. come as any surprise. Anyone who, who would have read the HSE National Service Plan this year it started with there was already there's going to be a 1.1 billion deficit. Mm. It costs about 1.3 to 1.8 just additionally every year to run the existing level of service because we're growing population, we're getting older. That's before you do anything new. And Val- Valerie Hanley actually has a good breakdown of, you know, where those figures come from and how long. I mean, it's, it's not like it wasn't in the public domain. It shouldn't be a surprise. And I suppose we would have said every year, when the budget is designed and the new initiatives that Tanya pointed to, the new announcements, particularly for the health budget, where is that money really going to come from if you're still going to deliver the other services you're supposed to be providing? And I mean, we don't really do a good job of delivering health services anyway. The waiting list, again, we're talking about probably another, you know, the winter plan, overcrowding, yeah. more people on trolleys. I mean, last year we were almost in crisis mode. Are we going to be there again? 
And if you are going to put a recruitment freeze, I mean, how are you going to deliver the CAM service? Yeah. How are you going to deliver yeah. spinal surgeries? Which yeah. you, and that's just two issues, never mind all the yeah. other services you have to deliver. There's quite a lot about the Department of Health mm-hmm. across the papers today, including about Temple Street. But one story we wanted to focus on, particularly Tanya, uh, and it's, I, I don't know how to describe it. I variously, <laughs> to different points in the morning, call it kind of sad or a little bit heartbreaking, but it's just a very human story on page 11 of the Sunday Times. Yeah. It's about uh, pe- the online system for adopted children to trace their, their, their birth and the different stories that they sort yeah. of have as they are discovering who their real family is. That's right. I mean, uh, to date, um, there's been about 16,000 people who have submitted contact details to this new, con- the, it's called New Contact uh, Preference Register. Uh, and they might be people who've been adopted. They might be uh, women or men who've given children up for adoption. They might be siblings who've discovered that they had a, had a, uh, another sibling who was given up for adoption. Um, and what you have here are two stories that really is striking to me is, and it's very familiar the kind of stories that you hear. So when people often do this, sometimes it's early in life, but often it's, you know, in your 30s, in your 40s, when you start thinking about your origins and you you want to find out your history. So um, there's one woman here, uh, Beth Wallace, and, you know, she went through the difficult journey of trying to find her mother. Remember, it's all all voluntary as well. Mm -hmm. You have to, and I have, from a children's rights point of view, have a real problem with that because I think you should be able to identify, if if you've been adopted, you have to be told you're adopted, but you also should be able to get your origins. It shouldn't be just voluntary that the other person can decide to hide their identity from you. Um, but she put herself forward. Um, she you know, she wrote to her mother. It was three times by the time she actually got to meet her. So you're dealing with the pain of rejection. That's part of the adoption journey, you know, when you try to find a parent. I mean, I, I have a father I've never met. I've done that too. I've been rejected. Fine. That's just part of what, what happens. But what she did uncover was that she had a sibling um, that died before her uh, mother and baby in, in the mother and baby home. She had no idea. And the, she got to see the, the siblings post-mortem file. And what she discovers is the baby was malnourished. It hadn't been given antibiotics, didn't have any food in the digestive system in, 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 you know, in the days before it died. So they're uncovering very difficult stories. But the other thing that's coming through is they're also uncovering the lies that they were told. So she was told that her father didn't want to meet her. And you can imagine that. That used to be one of the common stories you heard is the father, you know, you have to protect his identity. And actually turned out the father did want to meet her and she eventually got to meet him and he died a couple of months later. Yeah, so there's some really kind of harrowing personal stories there of stuff that was kept between two sides who do really want to meet each other and want to know each other and love each other and they were just kept apart because of the the, the awful systems that were in place. I'd love to talk about that a bit more. Unfortunately, it's all the time that we have. Thanks a million to my newsfare panel, to Tanya Ward, uh, Chief Executive of the Children's Rights Alliance and to Michelle Murphy, Research and Policy Analyst at Social Justice Ireland. On the record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC. Redesign your organisation, reinvent your capabilities, reimagine your future. On News Talk.